Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As always, we're really quickly going to run through the itinerary so you're all familiar with exactly what we're going to be discussing on this week's episode. So we kick the discussion off with the topical debate on football tribalism. We saw this past week, Jack Walshier post on his Instagram story that he was receiving abuse from fans after yet again uh, having another injury setting him uh, back for the season. And we also saw fans of Manchester United outside of Ed Woodward's house in Cheshire throwing uh, missiles and uh, fireworks and flares and so we discussed basically you know when is taking it a bit too far uh, from fans we then spoke about the um, transfer window in January and the piece of business which each of the lads were, were most surprised by before then dissecting the weekend's fixtures and of course rounding things off with our favorite uh, favorite segment in the prospect of the week stay tuned Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge. I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. And we got Tunj from the HQ in the building as well. What's going on lads? You all good? All good? What are you saying Budge man? I'm good. It's good Budge man. Obviously I'm excited for this one because Liverpool are 22 points cleared. So yeah man, let's, let's go. Do you let's know what? Go. Before we move on, <laughs> let me clarify something because I saw you harassing me on Twitter early yeah. on this week. It's true though, you won't answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you answer, boy? You, you didn't answer. Okay, so fine. Yeah, at that point you guys were, what, 40 points ahead of Arsenal? Yeah, mm. well, wonderful. Should we write to the Premier League to ask them to make a separate trophy for that? Would you like Would you like that? I didn't no? say that. Okay, fine, fine. Just wanted to <laughs> Dead reason, are you? Yeah, I'm good. You know, happy to be here. Yeah. You know, so many games to get divulged into today. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to it, man. Fantastic. Yep. Cool. All right, man. Let's let's kick things off. Before we dissect the weekend's games, um, the topical debate I think we should have this week is on football tribalism. So we saw obviously two instances of this this past week. Um, one with Jack Wilshere posting on his social media. Um, that he was getting a lot of abuse from uh, fans given the fact that he's obviously injured yet again and we, you know, are 
no strangers to the fact that he's been uh, blighted by injuries throughout his career. Um, and so, you know, people t- are calling for him to pack it in and uh, hang up his boots after he's, he's, he's still fa- uh, fairly young and still got a lot of football left to play. But of course, he's, he's been harassed um, by fans from that standpoint. And we also saw the instance with um, Ed Woodward um, having uh, United fans outside of his home in Cheshire uh, f- uh, throwing flares and fireworks and that kind of thing. And of course, the club uh, in Manchester United will come out and, and defend it and say that that's not the reason why he he were, uh, wasn't at the game against Wolves this weekend. But of course, we know there must be some sort of um, tie and, and, and relation there. So, of course, it, you know, we want fans of football clubs and, and, and fans of the beautiful game to be very passionate, to wear their hearts on their sleeve and whatnot. But of course, it begs the question, like, when is it a step too far? Um, and so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on on on, on that, guys. Yeah, to be fair, um, you know I saw Jack Walsh's comments and someone that's played against him. Mm. You know I know what this boy can do, and mm. the way his career sort of like petered out over the past few years, it's been sad to see. And you know social media that brings a new element to this as well mm. because I'm sure we've all been on Twitter and you'll see that wheelchair with an Arsenal top on it and <laughs> Wilshire's name on the back yeah. people mocking him and yeah. what people need to remember these people are human mm. like they've got feelings and you know years and years of that abuse can take his mental toll and from Jack's message you can see laugh at me you can see he's probably reached that boiling point where he's had enough and you know Fair play to him like, for mm. coming out and speaking because some people can, you know, let this eat away at them and, yeah, you know, it can lead to depression. Mm-hmm. So how, how, how old is Jack now? 28. 28. Oh, 28. 28. 28. I started yeah. this Yeah, I think this it's, it's, it's been tough for Jack. He's had a tough career. Um, he's always been a top, top, top prospect when he came through. And it's a shame, you know, injuries have jeopardised his, his career. Mm. Um, it's, it's tough because he's a top talent and, you know, he's moved to West Ham he's, think, he's thought maybe you know we'll get some fresh start, fresh start yeah. start getting games under his belt but the injuries wherever he goes just came to see mm. keep following him yeah. so it's it's been tough for him but in terms of like what uh, Dej is speaking about just to buttress on his point at the end of the day with Jack he's a human being so I don't know if mm. people think footballers are robots mm. but that's the issue yeah. all this abuse when you keep getting abused eventually there's a line and mm. you can you can pass that line and Jack's pretty much at that line hence he had to come out of those comments yeah yeah and like some of the lazy excuses that you hear is that oh, he's earning 100k a week so he should be able to deal with their um, abuse but for me I think that's utterly stupid and I think mm. there's always a few idiots in fan bases that are always trying to spoil it for the majority I mean, going to Ed Woodward's place of residence and, you know, lighting off fireworks, it's just unacceptable. I'm all for passion in the game. I'm all for, you know, showing your support, but the growing tribalism in the game is is becoming too much and it's starting to rear its ugly head over and over again. Um, As for Jack Wilshere, it's sad to see because I'm sure these injuries have left serious mental anchors in his head and... I want to see him back on the pitch because he's a player that on his day he's a top top talent and he had you know the ability to go to the top of the game and I remember when Dez first played against this guy he said Dot this is the best player I've ever played against yeah and like that game I remember it we were playing in a night tournament I think it was under 15s I remember this story yeah yeah <laughs> and we played against him in like the, the quarter final 
Then, um, you know, before the game, our manager was like, you know what, we need to stop Jack. So he actually assigned a player to man mark him. And back in the day, it was Jack Walsh and Emmanuel Frimpole. And this midfield, it was a struggle to, you know, penetrate them. And, you know, to watch Jack, you know, his career sort of like, as I say, peter out. It, it's sad. It's sad to see. But I only wish he can, you know, get back to full health and start playing properly. But also, you know, to add to Ed Woodward, I think fans can always have a voice. I remember yesterday's game, there was planned protest. That's fair enough. Vote with your feet. But when you're getting to the stage where you want to do physical harm to someone, I think that's where it stops, in my opinion. Yeah, just to touch on Dej's point as well, under no circumstances should you be going to a man's house mm. and throwing missiles. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it is unbelievable. Well, obviously, course, there's you know, always a few lunatics yeah, in football. No, no, it's, mm. it's, of course, um, obviously, we're fans and we want to keep the rivalry on the pitch. Mm. We don't want to keep it out. You know, yeah. It shouldn't get personal where you have to go to a man's house where his wife definitely. and kids are. Do you see what I mean? So it's, it's, it's really bad. And just a final touch on, on this one. I think, as Dez said about the planned protest, there was a planned protest um, yesterday for the 68th minute. Mm. But obviously that didn't materialise. But I think, I think that's probably the reason out. why Ed Woodward yeah. didn't yeah. Um, I think turn the fact up to that the game. There mm. is why they didn't do the um, protest in the end. If he was mm. there, they probably would have walked. But Solskjaer did call for the fans to stay. Yeah, so, a few people walked out, but yeah. majority of the people, you yeah. know, stayed there. So And it yeah. was a tight match. It was nil-nil. Maybe if it was one or two nil towards then, maybe yeah. it would have happened. Fair play. Okay, cool. So we're, of course, going to um, go into each of the games and, and, and dissect the, the weekend's um, action. One more thing that we need to discuss before that, given the fact that this is the first episode that we're recording uh, post the January yep, transfer yep. window and, and, and deadline day with the madness that, that was happening uh, up and down the country. Of course, a lot of clubs did some really, really good business. Um, with player sales and bringing in um, players as well. What I want to ask you guys is, though, which piece of business surprised you the most and by which club? But, do, do you want to know what surprised me? Yeah, go on. Danny Rose to Newcastle. I was yeah, shocked at that. that one was a bit left field. I, I wasn't was, expecting I that. I was shocked. I thought mm. Rose wanted to go to a bigger club when he was, you know, kicking up a fuss at Spurs mm. saying he wants to leave and, you know, he's not getting paid enough and mm. this and that. I, I genuinely thought he wanted to go to a big club or maybe a broad... But which big club would no. need a left back? No, that's what I'm saying. At the time, when he wanted to leave, mm. I'm pretty sure he wanted to go to a big club in Spurs or not even... It doesn't have to be a bigger club, but he wanted to get paid more. There was definitely mm. an issue there with pay. Yeah, that and was in seen, and around the yeah, Kyle Walker move. He's, yeah. he's saying, oh, people that are even not as high profile than me are getting more money. Mm. I, I deserve more money. So he wanted to move at that time. Do Obviously, United not still need a left back? Or is sure? I think Danny Rose's window as mm. a top left back has gone when mm-hmm. you think about it, in my opinion. I think... You know, the teams that are being linked with him were Newcastle, Watford, Bournemouth, Mm. mid-table Premier League teams. And in my opinion, it's a good move for both parties. Mm -hmm. It's a loan with no option to buy. So that means he can, he's going to be starting. He said Mm. once Jetro Williams suffered that horrendous injury, he was on the phone to his agent saying, you know what, get me a move up to Newcastle. Oh, wow. And he's someone that's always wanted to live in the North. Mm -hmm. I remember when Man City were linked with him, he said at some stage during his career, he wants to live um, in the North where Mm -hmm. he's originally from. Obviously, there's no option to buy. So he probably still has his sats on going to a potentially... I thought you were going to say England. No. I think England. I think he's seeing the Euros as a tangible option that maybe he can mm, force okay. himself mm. along with Ben Chilwell. Mm-hmm. In that, Do you think in Rose cares about football like that anymore though? Yeah, I think he'll want to play for England. Okay. 
Fair point. It's interesting right. because he said there was only like one good fish and chip shop in London. So. <laughs> Shows where his head's at. Yeah, I do, uh, I, do think, I do think that Rose has conceded the fact that his best days as a left back is over though. So that's probably yeah. paid the part. Fair, yeah, I think that, that was certainly an interesting one. All right, what about you guys? What do, what do you think in I terms of... I just think the, the transfer merry-go-round that happened at Man United, mm-hmm. I mean, deadline day arrived and the uh, amazing um, Telegraph report on Mike McGrath and broke the news of a bid for Joshua King. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't make sense. But then I thought about it and I was thinking, you know, ex-Man United, Oli has a great relationship with him. Three goals and 17 appearances. No, but he's actually a good player. Like, (laughs) Mm. he's actually a good player. I think he would have been a good piece Mm. of business for Man United. Mm -hmm. But that shocked me. And then I got the even bigger shock of my life. And it was Odian Agalo. I mean... This was a player that Man United were linked with four years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember Duncan Castles breaking the news of a 35 million bid by Manchester United. Um, but what I would say is that I want to call into question Matt Judge. Um, mm-hmm. He was brought in by Man United to no great shape transfers. Everyone's quick to point the finger at Ed Woodward, but Matt Judge is the person that deals with the transfer negotiations and he's the man to get the long-term deals over the line. Mm-hmm. And for me, that transfer is baffling. It, do- it doesn't make sense. Um, he's in China. He hasn't played since November. And you're going to pin your hopes on Odiana Gala that, you know, he was pretty much found wanting when he was at Watford. I know he had a good really? spell. You I know, know he, he had a good... Got, like, 40 I goals in 100 or... He was a good striker. Yeah, he had a good record. He had a good yeah. record. want me to shock you guys? Uh, well, sorry, Tim, just final point. One thing I would say is that he does offer them something different and he's mm. got that target man attributes so mm. he can be used as like a bounce effect so Martial can run in behind him but mm-hmm. I just think I mean we all know that Man United needed a striker we saw that Lukaku left and for them to end up with Odin Negalo, it's just it's terrible and I think again this is just a damning indictment on this Man United team and it just again shows the incompetency of the board Anyway, I've always said on this platform, people mm. have been quick to point the you know finger at Oli. I've mm. always said that this is a hierarchical mm. issue, and this you know signing is indicative towards that because mm-hmm. Odia Nogalo, you know, Man United were being linked with every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Mm. You know, Odia Nogalo, Piantek, Cavani, even. You know, Pookie as well. So this just shows that Man United, the people at decision making level, scattergun approach. It's a scattergun. It's like who wants to come to Manchester United? The funny story for me from the transfer window was um, John um, Augustine, mm-hmm. who winded up going to you know Leeds. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Man United, when he was doing his medical, they called up, "Oh, you fancy a move to Man United?" <laughs> and they're like, "No, I'm happy at Leeds." And that just oh, shows that the the transfer yeah, committee yeah. is an absolute joke, in my opinion. What I was going to say earlier, but um, to shock you guys, I do think that. Agalo mm-hmm. might do well at United. The reason I say that, he probably can be a focal point for them to bounce off of, but then it defeats your object because mm. Lukaku could have done exactly the same thing anyway. So why are you going to sell Lukaku and then get Agalo? It makes no sense. Lukaku the, wanted to go and obviously only wanted him to point. go. But with Agalo, the only issue might be because he's gone China, God knows what sort of pressure the, that league yeah. is. He, he may have lost the intensity, mm. start pace, coming to yeah. the play, yeah, the being pace, off the pace. Mm. Before you know, he's on the floor with cramp after 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> so, like, no, I remember yeah. he did know. have that Iggy chop. Remember that chop mm. that he always yeah, used to yeah, do? Yeah, like, yeah. He used to love that. He used to <laughs> sell it. some goals. As long yeah, as yeah. One time he even finished off Liverpool like mm. that with one, one chop. I think Saka was flying. And sometimes when you go for the lower profile player, sometimes it's less pressure and you can sometimes perform. 
low risk, low reward. And also, we have to consider the fact that it's a six month loan, low risk, mm-hmm. right? Reward. So, you know, come summer, you know, I imagine they'd be doing some di- some different business. So, all right, Dej, let us know what was the piece of business that uh, surprised you the most. Yeah, the one that surprised me the most was um, a move from Sheffield United mm-hmm. for central midfielder Sander Berg, mm-hmm. who used to play his football at Genk. Mm. I mean, this was a club record. And, you know, Chris Wilder signed a new contract a few weeks ago. Mm. And I believe one of the remits from that contract was that he's going to be heavily backed. And this was actually, you know, a, a big coup because this was a player that was being linked with, you know, Man United. He said in the summer that he wants to move to a Champions League club. So oh, wow, for Sheffield okay. United to actually get this across mm. the line, I mean, it's credit to, you know, Prince Abdullah and Paul Mitchell as well coming together to package this deal. And mm. I think he's a very, very good player. I mean, I watched him, you know, in the Champions League against Liverpool mm. and he's someone that likes to receive the ball in the half turn and circulate it. Mm. And he's only 21, so he's got a massive, massive upside. So mm. this was my deal of the window okay cool um, I want to chime in with one as well really really quickly <laughs> before we move on to the games because this one really really surprised me especially off the back of um, this particular player's introduction into the first team it was yeah. in a game it was a, a, a game between Chelsea and um, yep. Arsenal mm-hmm. and we heard this story the intro of Tariq Lamptey and mm-hmm. how uh, Lampard asked Jody Morris if he was ready and he was like of course he is and he was thrown into the, the to, to the team and, and performed very very well mm-hmm. um, and so so given the fact that obviously Reese James is now the first choice as Piliquet has been phased out um, and the fact that he can play both at right back and left back I expected and thought that he would stay at Chelsea and you know um, stake his claim to be in that first team he's obviously now decided to move on and go to Brighton and so the reason why this surprises me in particular is because I don't really know where I sit on it like part on, on on one hand you think okay he's ambitious he's young he wants to play first team football and so him moving to somewhere like Brighton um, you know he, he's like okay I, I, I want to challenge myself on a different kind of platform and maybe get another move further down the line but then on the other hand I'm like well you know, maybe he's copping out of a, a, a battle against Reese James for the for the the coveted right back uh, mm. position. So I'm not really sure where I sit on it, but I just thought that that was a particularly uh, surprising piece of uh, transfer business, given the fact that you know he was he's highly uh, uh, mm-hmm. rated. You I see like what I mean? him. He, look, he looks promising. Hundred percent. All right. So we're going to move on and we're going to start off with um, uh, the game between Spurs and City, which was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A very interesting one. Um, Lots of uh, talking points in this game. And we're going to ask Tunj to kick us off with this one. Yeah, it was a good game. Mm -hmm. Um, Man City had the lion's share of possession. Mm -hmm. As you would expect. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mourinho being Mourinho, he's going to have the defensive approach and try to hit you on a break, similar to what he tried to do against Liverpool. The only difference was um, Man City couldn't get that decisive goal. And when Mm. you're playing a Mourinho team, you have to get that goal early. Otherwise, Mm. it can go very pear-shaped very quickly. Um, City had big chances. Um, VAR taking centre stage, (laughs) (laughs) as as per usual. Mm -hmm. Um, Penalty given a whole two minutes after the (laughs) incident. What do you think about that? First of all, what I want to know is, why is Mike Dean taking two minutes to get that decision made and why didn't he see it in the first place as well this is my problem with Mike Dean he always wants to be the centre of attention Mm. you always see him as the person that's in the action like Mm. dishing out yellow cards you know telling this player to go over there and I just think with Mike Dean just ref the game Mm. you're the only referee that's always the talking point for your actions on the football pitch 
No, but what did he do wrong? Again, he's just too eccentric with his behaviour. <laughs> you know. No, but to be fair, he's on the advice of Stockley Park. So when a decision's being made, he needs to be alerted. Dej, and there needs to be a stop in place. Why did he not see a Stonewall penalty? Like, you can time. see what that from a doing? mile away, Dej. Obviously, if you're not sure, you can't give it. And that's the benefit of VAR. So it can now and overturn decisions. And then why did it take two whole minutes for that decision? To be Obviously, the back? ball didn't go out of play. I, I agree with Dej there, mm. to be fair. The ball didn't go out. So what's happening with, uh, with with City? It just seems as though, you know, they've, they've lost their cutting edge. They're creating chances. They're dominating possession. But they're not, a- they're not able to, co- to to convert it. What's, what's it happening? Was, it, was, it was a tad bit unlucky, if I'm being honest. They had chances. Um, they had some good chances. Mm. They missed a penalty, which could have easily been a goal. Sterling tried to go in and win another penalty. Mm. What, what do you guys think of, of that challenge? No, I don't think it was a penny. I think Lloris mm. had head loss, but I think he composed himself <laughs> in just the right second for it not to be mm. a penalty. But I think the wider question I want to pose to actually Dej is, how, how good is Pep really? Because like, there's a question to be made that this may be the worst title defence we've seen in the history of the Premier League. I know, 22 points. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. But again, when you look at it in perspective, this mm-hmm. is a Man City team that have, you know, amassed 198 points from two seasons. Mm-hmm. So there is going to be that drop-off period. Mm-hmm. But the sharp decline, what we're seeing, like, it's, you can't account for it. I mean, when you look at some of Manchester City's finishing, for me, it borders on a bit of showboating. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not serious. Mm-hmm. I think we saw it midweek as well in the Carabao Cup. I think Silva had the opportunity to shoot. Then he played it backwards. Mm-hmm. Like, have they lost the plot that much that they don't care in front of goal? And I think Pep made some interesting, you know, comments after the yeah. game. Say, my job is to get you into the final third. It's then, you know, players to need to, yeah. yeah. So, that... Interesting point. I think... You know, let's let's hark back to the game. But I think obviously Man City did play Tottenham off the park. I think Tottenham were very, very fortunate to be at nil nil. Agreed. Um but one of the points in the match that I wanna highlight is the City red card. And like the wider question is like just because you go down to ten men, it doesn't mean you have to capitulate. And I think this is a worrying trend. We saw it with Wolves, Man City two nil up and then lose the game three two. Mm-hmm. This game was evenly poised at 0-0 and they're going to lose the game 2-0. And that's like conceding five goals once they're down to 10 men. And with Pep, I've seen it for years, he'll go down to 10 men and nothing changes. He still Mm -hmm. controls the game, Mm -hmm. still dominates the game. And more often than not, he still wins the football match. But I think it's interesting because I spoke to Dej yesterday after the Liverpool game. I said, Dej, Man City are not winning tomorrow which is today mm-hmm. and I just feel they're in a halfway house what are you actually playing for mm-hmm. you've secured top four you've got no chance of the winning league winning the league so you're playing for nothing mm-hmm. and you could just mm-hmm. see Tottenham wanted it more today and then I've said it you know for a long period of time you guys will attest to that probably two months ago that mm-hmm. Manchester City domestically are full up you mm-hmm. know they've beaten all the teams and they've lost their edge they've lost that spark which makes them so great the pressing, the finishing, the lack of cutting edge. And again, Manchester City, Pep Guardiola seems to have, you know, hit a plateau with mm-hmm. this project. I know Dot, you were speaking to someone, you know, close at Manchester City and they were saying that um, they're looking at five new signings. So another question I want to pose to the table is what five signings or mm. positions do you think Manchester City need to strengthen and to put them back amongst the, mm, the league's well. elite? They probably definitely need a new centre-back, yep. even two centre-backs, because Otamendi today, again, he was another poor, poor showing. Mm. Um, Left-back, Mendy. I'm not going to lie to you, I think that's harsh. I don't think Otamendi was that bad. It was, for, for the Son goal, he was, he dived in as usual. He, he didn't need to be as erratic as he is. And it's like, 
he should know this by now. He's always diving in. He should know that diving in doesn't do you any justice. Mm-hmm. But moving on back to the positions, left back, Mendy. We don't know what's going on with Mendy. Um, he didn't live up to the billing, but he's had serious injuries. Mm-hmm. So it happens. They sold Angelino as well recently yeah. to Leipzig, I believe. Mm-hmm. Didn't that they was... just bring him in this summer? This, yeah, this they bought him for five million and then they put him on loan with an option to buy, which is strange. No, but to be honest, it's a business move as well because mm. I think they've loaned him with a view to like a thirty million pound deal, so they're making mm. profit on him. So, fair, fair thing, play. this Man City team obviously they're looking at five signings in the summer. Um, apparently, there was no business for them in this window. That's why they didn't go for any of their mm. transfers. None of their prime targets are available at the moment. But I think the future of Jesus is under you know serious scrutiny. Mm. Cancelo is another one that may be going. Um, Benjamin Mendy John Stones and Gabriel Jesus mm. those are going to be the possible departures in the summer and I think this team need a serious reboot because you can see they're growing old you can mm. see without Kevin De Bruyne they look a bit one dimensional yeah. and Raheem Sterling's form this year has been a worry it's been no going eight now and the thing is about Riyad Mahrez he's an amazing player but when it's time to really, you know, grind mm. and work hard, I don't think he's the best person for that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the summer at Manchester City because it's worrying times. Uh, but I think we should touch on Tottenham. I was just, just about to yeah, say yeah. that. No, we, just just, just, uh, just to touch on, uh, before we touch on Tottenham, I just want to say one more thing regarding Pep um, and the rebuild job. Um, being 22 points behind, it shouldn't happen under any circumstances for Pep Guardiola. Um, so this reboot is Pep demand to to do this reboot or is he full up I think he's the right man as long as he's got the the, the, the war chest to do it to be fair but I think Pep Guardiola's history has shown that once he reaches the end of a four year cycle mm. it gets very tough you mm. know players at his previous clubs have come out and said you know what it's very intense yeah, we need our yeah, break yeah. Yeah. so this will be him doing something he probably never has done mm. before so it's going to be interesting to see if he wants to stick around just yeah, to 100%. touch on uh, Spurs um Typical Mourinho game plan, keep it tight, compact. Try not to let, you know, the main city attackers get in behind and then try to hit them on a break. Mm. They didn't see too much of the ball. Um, their new signing... Dream debut for Stephen yeah, Bergwijn. Bergwijn, he, he, he was actually good. Yeah. Although they didn't have much of the ball in the first half, when he did get the ball, he tried to make stuff happen. So you could tell, yeah, there's a, there's a player in there. And his goal was superb. The goal was just uh, yeah. unbelievable. Honestly. Chest, yeah, yeah. volley. No time to react to anyone. He had no chance know? whatsoever. But I think Spurs, they were lucky. I think they literally had three shots on target mm. for the game. Three shots, three shots on target two goals so it literally you could call it a smash and grab yeah we were saying off air that um, Spurs are probably one of the teams that had uh, a decent transfer window obviously yeah, they brought they, in they the Burge wine they uh, signed up LaCelso mm. on a permanent deal and then obviously got mm. um, uh, Ericsson um, the, oh. the, the move to uh, Inter what mm. I wanted to ask you mm. um, Dot is basically what what's your view on um, those those th- th- those uh, pieces of business mm. but also just this uh the, the, the whole formation. So I think today Lacelso was playing in the middle mm. with Harry Winks. Can I just say is that, there a future there? Can I just that? say that Lacelso is an unbelievable footballer? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's press resistant. The way he carries the ball, he sees a pass, um, he breaks the lines. I really, really like what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. obviously, everyone was quick to say, "Our oh, Tango and Dembele is going to be the best um, signing mm-hmm. for um, Tottenham this season." But the way Lacelso has burst into life under Mourinho has been amazing to see. Um, 
as Tun said, Tottenham did score from their first two shots on target. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be too hasty on Man City because I think Man City's game plan worked, but they just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. Um, as for Tottenham, is a great win and that puts them in the contention for the top four. Um, final point on this one is that what I would say is that um, I think defensively, although Man City did have a lot of opportunities, I think Tottenham really put their bodies on the line. And it's good to see Mourinho get a big win because he's had three chances and he failed all three attempts. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he got yeah. the fourth win against Man City. So I it's know a, it's people a are talking about Mourinho, you know, being on the decline. You know, he's no longer a great manager. But again, that was a big win for him. Mm-hmm. You know, his biggest win you know, mm. as Tottenham manager. And I just wanted to shine a spotlight on Bergwin. You know, he's a player that at PSV has been linked with many times, you know, mm. to the Premier League, moved to the Premier League with Manchester United, Liverpool. Mm. And this is a guy that can finish over his last two seasons. He scored plenty of goals. Mm. And when you look at it from a long-term perspective, Tottenham are laying down some foundations mm-hmm. that should have been even made under Pochettino. But still, there's some areas that haven't been addressed. Mm-hmm. When you look at their striking options, you know, Harry Kane, I still think when they're under siege, they need that presence mm-hmm. to be able to, like, you know, soak up the pressure. You know, Piantec was being linked with them. That didn't happen. You know, Giroud was being linked. He didn't come. So, mm-hmm. again, there's still a lot of issues that need to be addressed with Tottenham. But, yeah, it's a good start. Just before we move on as well, um, I just want to give a special shout out to Son as well. Son had an amazing performance today, capped it off with a goal. Um, he didn't stop running. He was putting pressure on the back line as much as he could. And yeah, I just wanted to give a special mention to Son. Sweet, man. All right, moving on now. Uh, Leicester hosted Chelsea at the King Power. Very, very interesting in terms of the lineups. We saw that uh, Kepa was dropped uh, in favour of Caballero. Um, I guess that was obviously after the the, um, the mistake that he made. Was it last week at, at um, He's Newcastle? been making mistakes but for a few weeks. Of course, of course. <laughs> He's been making mistakes um, for like one and a half years now. <laughs> the, the other interesting um, stat is that Vardy hasn't scored since uh, since Christmas. And is that a concern? I know uh, Dot was talking about um, the goals drying up for Raheem Sterling. Are we seeing that also um, across the board for, for Vardy? And is it something to, to, to worry about? <laughs> Bud, you won't say it, but I also pointed that one out a few weeks ago as well. Mm. Um, Jamie Vardy's form is a worry mm-hmm. um, because Leicester are not winning enough games at the moment. But they've got a good buffer to keep them in the top four, which mm. is always positive. Um, just to touch on the game, I was really, really impressed with Iosi Perez. I mm. really liked the way he was working that right inside channel. Mm. He was dropping in between the lines, turning with the ball and extricating himself out of tight areas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the best I've seen him play. Um, I know a lot of people have question marks on him, but I think he's a really good player. Um, Tillemans was good. Um it, you know, he's been struggling for a while, but mm. to see him getting back to somewhat that looked like his best was good. Um, what about my boy Harvey Barnes? Harvey Barnes was, was impressive. Harvey he's Barnes. like a bundle of energy yeah. and he offers them, you know, that direct threat, which they don't really have. Mm. Um, Chilwell had a slow first half, but he grew into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 2-2 was a fair result, but I think... Leicester should have won it because I think they had the bigger chances um, out of the two teams but I think it was two evenly matched teams in my humble opinion yeah for me this game was a real Jekyll and Hyde game you know it was a first half that was summed up by poor final passes Mm -hmm. I mean there was an opportunity I think for Tammy Abraham to square off to Cho you know it was a poor Mm. pass and the same thing happened you know with Vardy he could have played into Barnes and it was poor but again 
I think Leicester having a bit of a come down period. Mm-hmm. I think Rodgers is having probably his first tough spell at the club. When you look at midweek getting mm. knocked out against Aston Villa, yeah, 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 no yeah. one expected that, mm. you know. And Chelsea, same old problems, finishing mm-hmm. that XG, especially at home. They're underperforming it by 10 goals. Mm-hmm. I think they've been expected to get 26 goals. They've had 16 goals. So this shows that they're getting themselves into the positions, but they're not finishing. And I think Lampard came out after the game and said, you know what, we're underdogs for top four. And I think this was a message to, you know, Maria Granovskia saying, you know what, we need some backing. I've managed to work a miracle, you know, for a few months, but now we're able to sign players. I need some backing. And, you know, those rumours being linked with Edison Cavani, Piantec as well, these didn't come to fruition. So I think Lampard knows that Tammy needs help. He's played like over 1,800 minutes this season and he's going to need a rest. This is his first season in elite level football. So there is going to be that come down period. He is a youngster. So he needs to like have the burden eased off of him. Dutch, can I just interject for a second? What rubbish was Lampard saying about them being underdogs? Because I don't understand that. For me, it's, you know, jockeying for position. It's a message to the board. As I just said, you know, Maria Granovskia, she's the chief negotiator. Lampard remit was that we want a striker. Mm. We need to ease the burden on um, Tammy Abraham. And, you know, Giroud, he doesn't fancy him. Bashuai, he doesn't fancy him as well. And he wants to get, you know, Chelsea into a top position yeah, and consolidate sh- this top four. But surely with that position that they are in at the moment, surely they can't be underdogs for top four. They've got a good enough buffer to... To hold out. The buff is now four points. The buff is now four points. And when you look at trajectory, four points isn't good enough. They've got 13, 14 games to go. How's it good enough? They've got a good good starting 11. They've got good players. They're probably more consistent than the teams behind them. So why shouldn't they stay in the top four? I'm confused. I I think when you look at Tottenham, you know, they're on an upward trajectory. This win's going to give them confidence now. Their squad's coming back, you know, you know, their squad's coming back. They're seeming to get a bit of rhythm. And, and I think they can get top four. And I don't think four points is enough of a buffer. Yeah, just to touch on uh, what Deji said, um, Chelsea, I do think they're in trouble. Um, they wanted to do some business this window, which didn't come to fruition. And Giroud is unhappy as well. He wanted to leave. So he's got an unhappy player in the mm. camp. And of course, he wants to play in the Euros this coming summer. So it's, it's not looking good in that point. Um, Tammy Abraham does need help. Um, right now, he's not really getting into the best scoring positions or mm. making the right decisions. And it's just looking a bit uh, sticky for him at the moment. But he just has to keep his head down and keep playing. But I do want to speak about uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, he has been, he's been getting chances to start and show what he's about. He, he hasn't been able to. Um, at the moment but maybe the injury's still playing at him but it's, it seems to not be working is he too predictable do they know what he's going to do what, what do you both think about that I'll, I'll go the different angle I like the relationship that he's building with Reese James on that right hand side I think they've got good understanding Reese James knows when to say you know what I'm going to hold back Callum's going to do him 1v1 or he knows when you know what I'm going to overlap and create another option so I think again when you're coming back from that significant injury it's going to take time but long term I think you know Callum Hudson-Odoi is a top top player I Can agree. I just um, quickly add one final point can I just say that Reese James is an unbelievable talent he looks like the real deal and I really, really liked um, Alan Sherrod's analysis on Tammy Abraham yesterday mm. on Match of the Day. I think that's someone that wants to help Tammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Um, so moving on now, we're going to discuss the game between Watford and, and Everton at Vicarage Road, which was an interesting one. 
it's 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 so topsy turvy and 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 back and forth this um this uh, relegation uh, scrap because just weeks ago we were talking about how it looked like Watford were were home and dry. Um, and you know, under Nigel Pearson, you know things have have certainly taken a, a turn for the better, um, and and they've uh, you know uh, improved in terms of their performances under him. And a few weeks later, and they're they're back in the drop zone. And so this game was certainly one that was a huge uh, game for them. Um, Dej, take us away on this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on the game? this was an interesting game. Real, you know, I think Jekyll and Hyde has been a theme mm, today. You mm-hmm. know, up and down, back and forth. And this was a game where Watford took the lead. You know, scoring with Messina and Perea, you know, it was a poor, sloppy giveaway for Delft for the second goal. And um, I think Everton are fortunate. I mean, that, you know, Yeri Mina scoring mm. two headers. I mean, he was always spoken about in the World Cup as being a threat from set mm. pieces. And I think we saw it in his full dividend, you know, scoring two two goals. But I think... Watford's game management leaves a lot to be desired, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I think when you're going 2-0 up, especially when you're fighting for every point, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you're concentrating. And to concede that goal that they did in the last minute was was terrible. Mm -hmm. But just a shout-out to Everton. I mean, before this game, they lost their last 25 away games when going two goals behind. And I know Dot's spoken about the mentality that Ancelotti, you know, potentially could bring to Mm -hmm. um, Everton. And and that shows that, you know, something's right. And also, one league defeat in seven, you know, that was against Manchester City. So it shows that, you know, they're doing something right. And Ancelotti's starting to get a tune out of his players. And the fact that he didn't actually strengthen in the January window shows that maybe he thinks, you know what, I've got something to work with here. I need to assess this side before actually making any, you know, signings. And yeah, now they're pushing for a European place. But I just want to steal a quote from the late, great Kobe Bryant. Um, He said, creativity comes from structure. You get your structure in place and you can be creative from a solid foundation. And that's what we're seeing with this Everton team. Angelotti has gone in there. He's, you know, shaken things up and he said, you know what, guys, I'm going to create this structure. And once we do that, we can now be creative. And that's why you're seeing people at Walcott come on and you know give decisive actions and mm. score a last minute goal his first goal of the season and I said it at the time that Angelotti is going to be a good appointment for Everton because I feel that he's the type of manager they need they need someone with a big reputation and that you know giant mm. mentality that he brings to the table and now like Everton are in with an outside chance for breaking into the top six mm. yeah I agree um, Angelotti's definitely brought some togetherness in the camp um, their last game where they were 2-0 up and literally threw the game away in the dying minutes 2-2 that could have deflated the, the camp that could have deflated the dressing room but what they done they dusted themselves down and they went and fixed their wrong of the previous game by getting a crucial away win mm. this time around so yeah Ancelot is a top manager um, Everton now will be a better outfit mm. when playing, you know, tough opposition or small opposition, and more often they're not. They're more likely to at least get something out of the game as opposed to not getting anything. Yeah, hundred percent. Two points actually, I wanted to raise on that really, really quickly. One was uh, off the back of a point that Dej made um, about Yerimina scoring two um, headers. We didn't shout out. Um, I think you saw uh, one, head, one header. Yeah, yeah one okay, header. Okay, and then you yeah, kicked yeah, that one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Antonio Rudiger, yeah, yeah. his hundredth appearance, scored yeah. two, two, two headers as well. So we got a shout out him. Also, uh, for um, Walcott's goal in that game, 
from was it a shot? Was it a shot? Hundred percent. Hundred and ten percent. There's no way he's saying that he meant that. Yeah. Fair point. All right, we're gonna move on now, uh, and that we're gonna move on to the game between Liverpool and Southampton, which was played at Anfield. Of course, at the point of the game, it was uh, a year and two days since Liverpool had um, last lost at Anfield. Um, the interesting thing for me. Um, at the start of this game, wasn't actually was it? It was um, on on the Southampton end, and that was the fact that Ward Prowse was covering at right back. And the reason why that that sticks out to me is because, of course, Southampton have allowed um, Cedric Suarez to join Arsenal on loan until the end of the season. So if you don't have a deputy at right back to fill in, why on earth would you let him go at this point in in, in time of the season? That was that was a bit strange to me. Um, but with that in mind, um, of course, there are a lot of different talking points on this game. Uh, Dot, take us away on your thoughts on the game. Um, I'm going to start with Southampton. You know I'm their biggest fan. Mm. Um, can I just say that Ralph Hudson Hutu is one of the best managers in the country. And, you know, to give the biggest compliment to Southampton is that they gave Liverpool our toughest game of the season. Yeah. Honestly, in the first 45 minutes, they were unreal. Yeah, they yeah, blocked yeah. the passing lanes. They pressed Oxley chamberlain they pressed Joe Gomez and Liverpool looked uncomfortable yeah. and ragged mm-hmm. and if they had better finishing they possibly could have went a go up mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a testament to Ralph Hussenhutter because this is a team that you know they lost 9-0 and everyone was saying that he needs to go they need to sack the manager but the way he's transformed this team is absolutely unbelievable and you know what, they're going to finish in the top half of the table in my opinion. I think they're that good and I see them finishing the season very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, just to touch on Liverpool, I mean, it's 42 games unbeaten, you know, seven more games before they hit that 49th um, unbeaten and match Arsenal's record. I think they'll do that. Um, 100 points in their last 102 points available and I think you know what, I can read so many more records, but it's, mm. it's getting to mm-hmm. a point where it becomes pointless. And I think this Liverpool team, in my opinion, I think if they smash the point record, I think this is the best football team we've seen in the land. Just to touch on uh, Dot's stats, um, yeah, the the numbers are quite significant. Mm. They, they are absolutely crazy. Um, to win 17 wins in a row and then draw and then continue with another 16 mm. is quite staggering which is literally 33 wins in 34 games mm. plus one draw which obviously accumulates 100 points mm. from 102 it's, it's quite staggering it's hard to you can't really say anything negative about mm. a team that is putting up such numbers mm. and to be 22 points cleared at this stage of the season is ne- it's ne- it's at any stage of the season it's never ever been done before it's actually mm. a new record um <clears throat> The negative thing that people may say is that, you know, Liverpool get a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a decision with Danny Ings and yes. Fabinho. Mm-hmm. Um, Fabinho brought him down. But there's two ways to take that because when you actually look at it, it's either when he fell down, his foot came out as a normal reaction or he intentionally put his foot out to mm. bring Danny Ings down. What do you boys think about that? For me, personally, that reminded me of an incident we saw between Watford and Arsenal. I'm not sure if you remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, Watford and Chelsea, mm-hmm. when I think Jorginho brought down Delefeu mm-hmm. and it was overturned. I think he had that nibble, then he went again. So yes. if it was given as a penalty, you know, he wouldn't be aggrieved, in mm-hmm. my opinion. But I've said, VAR or not, these things cancel themselves out. In my opinion, for Firmino should have had a penny oh, yeah. in the Shane first Long. half. Shane yeah, Long, yeah. come on. He's yeah. not a defender. He He's was a striker. It was a striker's down. challenge. He was all over him. 
he stopped him from heading the ball into an empty net and then Ings had his penny appeal turned away it evened itself out VR or not both of the ch- challenges evened themselves out I think especially the Danny Ings one I think if that was given either way I wouldn't really be fussed I think if it was given as a penalty, I don't think VAR would have overturned it. Mm. And because the referee said no penalty, I don't think VAR was uh, wrong mm. to not overturn it. So it's just one of those ones. It was 50-50. And again, it's true. As Hassan Hotel said, at Anfield, you don't get decisions like that, if I'm just being totally honest. And that's poor from the referees. If he feels a penalty, give, it, give yeah. the penalty. Yeah. Dej, I have a question for you. Yeah. Who would you say is the bigger hero um, of that game yesterday out of uh, Roberto Firmino and... Um, Jordan Henderson. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'll have to say Roberto Firmino. Mm-hmm. You know, a hat-trick of assists. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this guy is the best at what he does. Mm-hmm. Playing as that foil, you know, being so unselfish and providing opportunities for his teammates. I mean, again, that wasn't Liverpool's greatest performance. But Roberto Firmino has started to stand up properly and consistently. And, you know, in the absence of Sadio Mane... He was that creative spark. And also, Jordan Henderson, we've got to give credit to him as well. People have been saying, oh, he's not a world-class player, but he's a world-class captain. And what he lacks in ability, he makes up in leadership. And, and we saw that yesterday, you know, with his, you know, his tireless work rate. He sets that tempo. You know, Fabinho coming back from injury, he needed some help in there. And Jordan Henderson, he's that reliable figure. And I just think, again, we're running out of superlatives to say about Liverpool, you know, it's... um. 100 points from 102 and Klopp came out after the game and said you know we didn't want a 22 point lead we wanted 73 points and for me that says that Mm. we're competing against ourselves now we're not looking at competition we want to see we can break every statistical problem record Mm -hmm. but just to touch on Southampton you know one defeat in five away games you can see why because they are bloody brave Mm -hmm. I remember like they pressed with six players in the opposition half and they were setting traps and Liverpool are sloppy at times and also you know Hassan Hull said before the game that you know what we're probably not going to win this game but this game is an opportunity to show how far we've come and they've come far and I think they're going to do big things going forward if they back Ralph Hassan Huttle yeah just to also touch on uh, Southampton as well Um, the first half they were very 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 competitive um, they like they said they were pressing from the front or putting the Liverpool players under pressure but the only tough part is it's hard to maintain throughout 90 minutes and of course as the game went on they got tired and they couldn't put on as much pressure which eluded in a uh, 4-0 battering but that's one of those ones where the scoreline doesn't really represent how they performed because they were brilliant on the day and special shout out to Danny Ings as well um, he, he was a player full of confidence he was running at the defenders mm-hmm. he was cutting in turning out just getting shots blocked by his own teammates in Shane Long but um, Ings I think there should be an England call there for him because he's, he's, he's looking excellent 100%. at the moment just quickly, very, very quickly, Bud, you were quick to say Firmino and Henderson, but I think Mo Salah was actually the man of the match in that game. Mm-hmm. But the thing is with Mo Salah is that we just expect it from him, so we mm. don't even credit his top performances anymore. Mm. Final point on Southampton, I think they really, really done a number on Liverpool and they've done something that I don't think I've seen a team do it before. What they've done is that they've basically played with three strikers. They had Gineppo, they had Ings and they had Long. And what they've done is that they just stood centrally and any time they got the ball, it was basically three on two. Mm. So they'll just square it and then they'll get shots off. So I think that's a maybe a tactic. You have to be very brave to implement yeah, it properly. Yeah. But I think that's a tactic that teams should be looking at to get at this Liverpool team. And just before you move on, I think that now makes it 20 wins um, in a row, which is a new record 
in mm. the Premier League or joint record with Man City, I think. Cool. All right. We're going to move on now um, to the game between West Ham and Brighton. I'll, I, I'll put my hands up and I'll admit, because I remember um, us speaking about this weeks and weeks and weeks, even months ago, um, when Dot was talking about how concerned he was about West Ham I kind of just took it as yeah, you know, yeah I took it with a pinch <laughs> of salt I said nah to be honest um, there's not really much to, to be worried about West Ham they're a Premier League side they're always going to be there or thereabouts so on and so forth but as the weeks have gone on um, and their form hasn't picked up it's, it's, it's becoming more and more of a concern <laughs> of course they've got one point in four games mm. and they've got a very very difficult uh, run ahead and before we get, go into the game and dissect it Dead, you're going to take us away on this one I just want to list West Ham's next seven games City away Liverpool away <laughs> Southampton at home mm. Arsenal away Wolves at home Tottenham away and Chelsea at home goodness me I mean, West Ham, they're in a relegation dogfight. I mean, Mm. it's one win from six league games for David Moyes. Mm. I think his only win coming, you know, against Bournemouth, that Mm. 4-0 drumming. But, I mean, when you're in a relegation battle, you can't be giving away freebies. Mm -hmm. And some of the goals that West Ham gave away (laughs) yesterday, I mean, it was beyond beggar's belief. I mean... What are they thinking? I mean, Fabianski, he's just coming back from injury, so I'm going to cut him some slack. But mm. there's a reason why Arsenal fans used to call him Flappianski because he flapped at that cross, <laughs> punching it into, you know, a bunner and conceding a the goal. bemused. He was like, what's going on? Kind of thing. And, and also the, the goal, you know, for, um, I think, Pascal Gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, Masuaku kicks mm-hmm. it, it deflects off someone. <laughs> It's then, comical. Then Ogbonna's yeah. looking around saying, have you got it? The Ops thinking, no, you've got it. Then the Ops saying, okay, let me head it back. And it's just a, mm, you know, it's a, a catalogue of errors. Catalogue of errors. Yeah, but does, can I just say, like, you're talking about Fabianski, but when that goal actually went in, I looked and I was like, is it Roberto in goal? Because I just couldn't believe it. That's our point. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you don't notice as well. Fabianski got pushed. He did get pushed mm, for the he punch. Did, he actually, it's like, he and did, on another day, on another, yeah, you got to be strong, but on another day, VAR like won't get that. And yeah, yeah, and they won't they won't give the goal. Yeah, it's similar even to like when Van Dyke jumped up with um De Gea. De Gea. Mm. And then it was the same. Obviously got a little nudge, he impeded him, they gave the goal. But I mean West Ham, I mean it's a worrying trend of form. In the midweek they played against Liverpool. That game was sort of like a damage limitations job, mm. you know. We're going to lose this game, but let's keep the score down. Mm. This was the must-win game. And they even rested Antonio off it. And they started off well, mm. you know, leading 3-1. You're meant to see the game out. And letting Brighton come into the game, a relegation rival, it, it's pathetic. Mm-hmm. But one bright spark for them was Thomas Susek. You know, he's his debut. He seems like a commanding, you know, presence in that middle. Mm-hmm. We've been calling for, you know, Rice and Noble to be getting some protection. And he came in and he added some stability. So mm-hmm. going forward, that's a good sign. But when you look at that run of fixtures, West Ham, they're in a relegation dogfight. Mm. Before you would say they're too good to go down. But when you look at the run of games and the form that they're in, you know, it's, it's worrying times. Um, it's all good talking about West Ham, but we need to, you know consider that Brighton are in a relegation dogfight as well I mean it's one win in ten and Dej was very very quick to call it he was saying he doesn't see the Brighton train he doesn't see the hype and he feels like they're you know massive candidates to go down and now we're actually seeing it they're in a relegation scrap but I mean West Ham they're on the edge they're on the edge I know a season ticket holder he messaged me after the the game and he was like you know what I've had enough I've given up we're going down like 
I don't expect us to win any of our next seven games and that's just going to kill the confidence and, and we're going to go down. But obviously, Dad, you, you know where Sam well. W- what has gone wrong? Because I come onto this podcast and I ask you what's happening at the club and I'm still baffled. W- what's gone wrong at the club? I just think... I think it starts from the top. I mean, at boardroom level, you've got people making questionable decisions. You've got people at the club. You know, Mark Noble, I, you know, I call him out. I think he's Mr. West Ham, but his minutes need to be managed. He shouldn't be starting every single game from now on. And again, individual errors, people not using you know, their common sense or mm-hmm. natural smarts. And I think that's what we saw yesterday, not managing a game. And when you can't manage a game at Premier League level, no matter the ability you have, you know, you're going to be found wanting. Also, another factor is, you know, injuries. You know, Yarmolenko's out. You've got Felipe Anderson that's out as well. These are their, you know, key players that they look for that creative spark. In their absence, to be fair, Robert Snodgrass, he stood 100%. up, you know, he's someone that we've seen over the years, his delivery is top notch, we've seen it, you know, for Norwich, yes. we've seen it for Leeds, mm-hmm. and you know, he's sort of, you know, pulling them out of this mess, and Antonio as well, he's someone that adds pace, but to be fair, they've made another acquisition in this window, you know, Jared Bowen, this is someone that I've got major, major stocks on, mm-hmm. this is someone that bang, you know, 20 odd goals last season, he looks good. this yeah. season from, he started from off, yeah, yeah, from yeah, home, yeah, he looks very good, but yeah. the issue is, he had, you know, Crystal Palace in for him as well. And my question is, I think, as a player standpoint, when you're judging the situation, I would have chosen Crystal Palace. They're a club that, you know, the manager's going to be there for the next 12 to 18 months. At West Ham, David Moyes could leave at the end of the season. So, from that standpoint, it was a bit of a baffling decision. Then I'm led to believe that he actually wanted the, the move to Newcastle, but that didn't materialise. Hence why there was a... Um a stumbling block in the move and obviously it went through in the final hour but apparently he's, he was set up on Newcastle mm. yeah I think um, just to touch on the West Ham hierarchy I think the fans are getting restless and um, the owners are on edge and I think the stadium as well I think the stadium it seems to not be working out for them everyone's saying that the, the move to the stadium has been an Achilles heel for them and it hasn't worked out how they would have wanted but again that that leaves another debate for another time um brighton i would like to touch on brighton actually even though they were three one up three one down they didn't they didn't what's the word they didn't give up they didn't give up they stuck at it they were still chasing down shadows chasing down the ball and it resulted in them bringing it back to three two which ultimately led to them getting a point from the game so well done to brighton just final point on this one um Graham Potter's um, father passed away during the week so we you know want to wish his family well mm-hmm. obviously they got a good point um, but just to be a bit cynical is that people will say Brighton were very lucky to you know get something out of this game but West Ham were really lucky I think their XG was 0.82 and they managed to score three goals so that's really really mm-hmm. clinical finishing <laughs> fair point alright moving on now um, let's talk about uh, Bournemouth and Aston Villa. So the game was played at uh, the Vitality. Um, a huge, huge, huge uh, three points for, for for Bournemouth. And you could see just how elated Eddie Howe was <laughs> in his post-match interview. Um, they started off the game really, really brightly and really well. And you could see they were playing with uh, a certain air of confidence. And, you know, there were, there were indications that they were getting their, their swagger back. Um, and that was de- definitely a, a, a positive. Um, so, Dot, take us away on this one. What are your thoughts on that game? 
Yeah, you know, I'm a massive fan of Eddie Howe. Um, I never thought they were going to go down because I rate him as a manager. Um, I think he's a top coach. It's good to see the team playing with confidence and swagger again. I mean, the way they were passing the ball in the midfield was really positive. Obviously, I know Lerma got another red card, mm. um, which is a negative. Very harsh. Very, very harsh. It was, but I think... Um, the fighting spirit will bring them closer together. For them to get that win over the line with 10 men is really, really important. And I see Bournemouth, you know, I see them. I, I think they're safe, personally. Mm. That point, though, on, on Lerma, he actually, since being signed, has got the worst disciplinary record in a top flight since his arrival. I think he's, what, 53 yellow cards or something like that? I think maybe 23 yellow cards. Oh, 23, 23 two. Oh, yeah. okay, that's, that's, yeah. that's the stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, it, it might have been record. harsh, but yeah, no, he's got was, a very yeah. bad record. It's a very bad record, but yeah. it was very, very harsh. He literally ran into him mm. and then he said, okay, yeah, I'm giving you another yellow. It was, it was a was, poor decision. It was, it was in shock. Yeah, but his reputation precedes him yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And again, yeah. for Eddie Howe, two wins on the spin, that's good for them because at a certain stage, it looked like Eddie Howard probably thought, you know what, am I the right man to keep this club mm. up? And getting six from six, and as we mentioned, you know, before getting their mojo back, it's good signs for Bournemouth. And we all love Bournemouth. We like seeing them in the Prem. We like Eddie Howe's principles and like how he, you know, likes to play the game. Fair point. All right. So we're going to move on now to the final uh, goal scoring game. Uh, of the weekend which was the uh, 1-0 smash and grab from from Sheffield United away (laughs) at Palace at at Selhurst Park it was the first top flight meeting between these two clubs since 1992 and both of those teams have the best defensive records outside of the top four so Dej take us away with your thoughts on this game yeah this was an interesting game we all know Sheffield United away from home they're Mm -hmm. tough nut to crack I think it's only, you know, Manchester City and Liverpool that have found, you know, the the keys to the Da Vinci code of that Sheffield United <laughs> defence. So, I mean, this game was a game on limited opportunities. Um, Benteke had a few opportunities, but fluffed these lines. I mean, and it took a very, very poor goal. Sloppy keeping from Guaita. Mm. I've been on this platform before and I said, you know, I think he's probably the best goalkeeper in London. Mm-hmm. And that mistake, you know, which ultimately cost his team was was shocking. Mm. And you could see it in his face throughout the game. He was just shaking his head. Yeah. Roy Hodgson came out after the game and said that he's apologised to the boys. Yeah. And he said that, you know what, he's got nothing to be apologising mm. for. He saved us. Mm-hmm. And without him, you know, we wouldn't be in this position, which mm-hmm. I thought was commendable. Really good, and obviously Roy Hodgson, he's a great man. He's got a lot of dignity. I just want to make one point on this game, and the point is well done to the referee, Andy Madley. Yes, um, yes. There was a VAR decision. Joe Wood. Joe Wood, the card. He had a look at it, and he was like, you know what, I've made a mistake here. And, he, you know, he overturned the decision. So, yeah. well done. That's how VAR should yeah, be that implemented. Yeah, VAR exactly. should work. Exactly. Just touching on the game as well. As we know, Sheffield United had one of the best away records um, in the league. They've only lost twice away from home. Um, and those are to the two best teams in the country, which is Liverpool and Man City. So, you know, when Sheffield United are coming to town, it's going to be very, very difficult um, to beat them. Um, Again, the howler, it could have been avoided, but that's football. Goalkeepers, they can be the heroes and then they can be the villains very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. That's just how the game works. You just have to bounce back. Um, And yeah, the, the Sheffield United train keeps rolling on. Cool. All right, we're going to move on now. Um, and we're going to go over to you, Dot, to take us away on the game between uh, Newcastle and Norwich. It was a nil-nil draw at St James's Park. Mm. Yuck! You gave me the worst <laughs> game. Um, 
there's nothing really to say. I think <laughs> Newcastle were poor um, yesterday. Um, I think I more want to, you know, shine a spotlight on the front three. And when I look mm. at it, that's over a hundred million pounds worth of talent: Joe Linton, Almiron, and Saint Maximan. And I mean, they have four goals between them. Mm. Surely they're better than that. And I think, I think this is why some Newcastle fans have a problem with Steve Bruce because they feel that the team is better than the performances. Mm. And what's funny about Newcastle is when you look at all the, you know, stats, you know, I love the stat. Mm. When you look at the XGs, the number of shots, they're in the bottom three for every single stat. But somehow they get result after yeah. result after result. So it's a poor game, but well done. Well done to Steve Bruce for getting another point. Uh, yeah, should sure. I say Norwich another point as well. Well yeah. done to them. They've got 18 now. So <laughs> Cool. All right. We're going to move on now. And we are going to go to Utunj for the game between uh, United and Wolves, uh, which was played at um, Old Trafford. Old Trafford, sorry. Um, just a spe- uh, just a, a point to open things up before you take us away. Um, Bru- uh, Bruno Fernandez made his debut. Of course, he he arrived uh, from from Sporting with a, a big transfer fee. He had sixty four goals and forty two assists in one hundred and thirty seven appearances for Sporting. So, of course, he's coming with uh, a very big reputation and and potentially uh, could be the guy to to um, for for United fans to pin their hopes. He's on. also a winner and he hates losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Take us away, Tim. I'm sure. All fans will agree with me mm. when when you have a new signing, there's nothing better than the signing getting thrown into the team and the players giving the ball to that new signing. Yeah. It's the best feeling. You just want to see the new signing, get on the ball, let's see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was thrown in, it's tough, um, but United lack that creative spark. This is a guy who can score goals and assist goals, so mm-hmm. we're going to give you the ball and you know try and make something happen. Um, it wasn't a bad performance. I think he had one serious shot straight at the goalkeeper. You know, he tried to play <coughs> forward passes, intricate passes, um, but it, it was a solid debut. Of course, you mm-hmm. know, the United team as a whole, they're not really confident in terms of attack, hence their goalless draw, mm-hmm. which is not the first time we've seen United hit a blank. Mm-hmm. Um, Wolves, they're always going to be a threat. You know, Traore, Jimenez the deadly duo they tried to get at United but United did keep things tight mm. um, it, was, it was it was an evenly matched game from a United point of view they just lack they continue to lack that creative spark and they couldn't break Wolves down Martial didn't have a great performance it, just don't know what's going on with Martial if I'm being honest James he, he can't get a goal you know he had a good good start to the season but again should James be starting for Manchester United? That's an, another question. Overall, it was a pretty balanced game. I'm surprised there was actually no goals in this game, mm. but United will just take the point and move on. Fair point. Okay, so finally, to wrap things up in terms of the uh, games over this weekend, um, Burnley and Arsenal. Uh, it was a nil-nil draw at Turf Moor. Uh, see what I did there? Um, <laughs> early chances from both Lacazette and Aubameyang. Neither of them could convert them. 
Um, there was also a few mischances from from Hendricks as well, but overall a bit of a Jay a Rodriguez game. as well. Oh yeah, he hit the he hit the crossbar, didn't he? Yeah. Um. So, what are your thoughts on on that game, Did? Um. Yeah, it was an interesting game. Before the game, I was thinking, you know what? This is a chance for Arteta to you know finally win his first away game, mm. you know, for Arsenal. And to be honest. The early stages were bright. We have to be honest. Arsenal were putting Burnley under pressure. Mm. We were seeing the, you know, promising signs that we've seen so far in his early stages of his Arsenal career. But I think it's that old habits die hard. I mean, when we look at the statistics, you know, it's quite damning so far. Emery had 12.5 shots per game. Lundberg had 10. Arteta's got 9.6. Even though he's still in his embryonic stages, I think people were too quick to give a man credit when he hadn't done anything. And the question longer term is, is Arteta a good coach, but not necessarily a good manager, or is he actually the full package? Because we've seen him under Pep, you know, coaching players, notably Raheem Sterling. But as a manager for me, he makes questionable decisions. You know, namely the inclusion of Lacazette as your focal point of a striker. I don't understand farming out Aubameyang and Martinelli on wide positions, taking them out of their natural game to accommodate Lacazette. Is he that good? I'm not sure in my opinion. I think Aubameyang has to be central to Arteta's side going forward. And I think these are just some naive decisions that he's been making. Why not play Aubameyang up front, take out Lacazette and play Pepe? This is a £72 million um, winger. And I think... It's questionable decisions like that which lead me to think I'm not sure what he's doing here. And you know, he's got renewed faith in Squadron Mustafi as well. I'm not sure why. But when you look at it, <laughs> Arsenal's um transfer business, you know, over the winter shown that he knows that defensively they need, you know, cover and you know, Cedric Suarez being brought in, he's someone that can cover him right back and left back. But just to analyse the game, I think Burnley should have actually won it. We all saw the um chance that Rodriguez had that should have been a goal so yeah all in all it was a good point Arsenal had some some good chances as well yeah early mm. on but Aubameyang yeah, had yeah. some very very good chances Des, that. sorry Des, don't you think you're being a bit harsh on Arteta he's in his embryonic stages as a manager he hasn't had a pre-season what do you expect him to do overnight I'm, I'm, I'm confused yeah, fam, you can be confused but the point is you're, you've got your prime striker and you're not playing him in, in his correct position for me Surely, that's a maybe. negligence it's a dereliction of duty as a manager your job as a manager is to play your best players in their best position and I don't think he's doing yeah, that but maybe we don't see what's happening on a day-to-day basis maybe Pepe is not training well maybe he's struggling to adapt I'm talking mainly about Aubameyang okay he so if, be... if you had to do that how do you play as a, do you play as a front four or what, what do you do so you put Aubameyang as the central striker and then what do you do around that yeah I play Pepe on the left I think as your main striker like you need to hedge your bets and say you know what this is my man going forward and yeah, but he we... seems to be making the same decisions mm. we all know Lacazette he hasn't scored away from home in about a year this yeah. isn't a guy that doesn't do a job away from home so why do you keep persisting with that I agree with that I do you know 100% agree with that but what I would say is that Aubameyang on the left he has the ability to drift in field and run in behind and we saw it twice today mm-hmm. if he was playing as a striker that run doesn't happen so he's got the effect as as like where he can become a second striker and join Lacazette so he's he's on the left but he doesn't really stay on the left I know no. we're not I know we're saying that you know Lacazette he hasn't scored in a way going God knows when but I think the main reason to put Lacazette on the pitch is because him and Aubameyang link up very very well Tom, Lacazette is bad man. come on I don't Aubameyang think... gets a lot of his goals through Lacazette 
Lacazette does seem to link up with Aubameyang mm. very well. I think it's harsh on Lacazette. To me, when I see Aubameyang, his best work comes in the width of those two goals outside of the box. Like, for me, he's not... In. Arsenal lacked creativity today and they had Ozil on the pitch. What was Ozil doing? One was assist it? in 11 games. If I had to change the front four that Arsenal had, they had Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Martinelli. I would have taken out Ozil. I would have played Lacazette behind Aubameyang and put Martinelli and... Pepe, Pepe. it's Ozil that I would have taken out. Final point, let's let's just call a spade a spade. Lacazette, Ozil, Pepe, that's 160 million right there that are not good enough at the moment and that's the problem with Arsenal, nothing else. Yeah, Lacazette, he needs to be on the bench. He needs to be riding, but Mm. even Ozil as well. When you think they're not about good his, enough. When no, you think about his contribution, shouldn't be playing. So why are we trying to put glitter on poo here? They're not so, good enough. And this is what I'm talking about. Arteta shouldn't he be able to see this and put them on the bench again? This is managerial. But who's going to come in? Who's going to come in? That's the question. And, and, and who's going to come in? And the thing about it, for me, question. what I don't like about Arsenal, it's like they're wasting games. There's an opportunity if you get your act together, you can make an assault on the top four. But they, it just they're not seems good that, enough. It just seems, oh, well, okay, let's let this season peter out. Yeah, but they're, not good, enough good to, enough. they're not good mm. enough to win matches consistently. I think if that's you make, why they're in the relegation fight. They're six points above the relegation. As a manager, though. if you make the correct decisions, you're more likely to get the right result. And for me, Arteta's not making the right decisions, and they're just petering along, and they're just going to be set for a spell mid-table. Very, very harsh on Arteta. But you, just one more point. Don't you think it's good because Arsenal now are avoiding defeat? This is a game they could have easily lost away from home. To be honest, they've never never lost to Burnley, so let's nip that one in the bud. Fine, we're going to move on. All I will say to to Dot's point is we will be staying up. I can hedge my bets (laughs) on that. (laughs) Right, so we're going to close things off now with our favourite segment, which is, of course, the prospect of the week. So for all of you who aren't familiar with this segment, it's essentially uh, uh, someone within the game. It could be a player, it could be a manager, it could be literally anybody who has been performing at the top level for a number of, of seasons now, a number of years, but had an absolute nightmare this weekend. Um, poor managerial uh, team selections and, and, and decisions. Um, you know, a player playing like it's the first time they're, they're, they're under the, the bright lights. Uh, uh, rash challenges, baggy touches, overhit passes, uh, moments of madness, goalkeeping errors, blunders, you name it. So I'm going to put this out to the table. Tunj, kick things off for us. Who was your prospect yeah, of the week? prospect of the week, it was very easy this weekend my magnifying glass is going straight to the London Stadium mm-hmm. and we're looking at one particular player Ogbonna <laughs> now for anyone who hasn't seen the second goal that West Ham conceded please have a look you've allowed the ball to bounce twice so that's now sent Duop into a panic and he's tried to head it back to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper was short and Brighton managed to get back into the game to make it 3-2 and eventually end up drawing the game. If that goal doesn't go in, West Ham win the game. So look no further than Ogbonna. You're my prospect of the week. Who's <laughs> going next? Are you going next, Stuart? Yeah, sure. Um, for me, it was a game that was played today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the London Stadium. Um, everyone was saying yeah Man City are going to win this game comfortably um, but Man City actually lost the game and I think we need to shine a spotlight on the manager um, Pep Guardiola okay. I mean some of his decisions recently have been very very questionable I mean chopping and changing Riyad Mahrez which doesn't make sense to me um, 
continuing and persisting to play Gundogan in the centre midfield. Foden's lack of opportunities when the season is long gone. Um, bringing Laporte back early from injury, he gets injured and now he's a doubt for the Champions League clash against Real Madrid. So I just think there's been a catalogue of, of errors here and, mm-hmm. you know, Pep has been riddled with mistakes this season. Mm-hmm. So Pep, I'm not sure if you're listening. One thing I do know is that John Terry listens. <laughs> but Pep, if you're listening, you're my prospect of the week. Fair point. All right, take us away, Dej. Um, I'm going to, you know, stick to the Premier League. I was floating about with a few ideas, but you know what? I'm going to settle on the Premier League. And this incident happened at Selhurst Park. You know, it was a nip and tuck affair. Mm. Both teams in it. Both teams evening themselves out. Then from a set piece, Vincent Guaita reared mm. his ugly head, you know, from a cross. Mm-hmm. He caught the ball, fell over the line and conceded it and lost his team, you know, the game in the process. Mm. So Vincent Guaita, if you're listening, you're the prospect of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Lo- lovely stuff. Thank you very much, guys. So I think we're going to call it a day there. Um just a quick reminder um, well f- first and foremost thank you very much for listening in up until this point in the episode um, if you're not yet following us on our social media platforms on Twitter is at podcast underscore TBG so give us a follow please and on Instagram as well is at pod underscore TBG so give us a follow there too keep ch- and stay tuned because we've got more things in the pipeline that's coming up so carry on following us carry on sharing the content amongst your family your friends and your work colleagues we're going to do bigger and better things than than last year this year and you guys are going to be with us on this journey um just a reminder that we are across loads of different platforms so spotify soundcloud and apple podcasts and if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review. If you would like to engage with us on Twitter and share your thoughts about any of the content that we discussed on this week's episode, if you'd like to share your prospects of the week with us, if you'd like to um, uh, uh, share any views on anything that the, that the lads discussed, then make sure you use that hashtag, let's get it trending. Um, I think that's pretty much it, right? Have I, have I covered everything, Dot? All good, boy. All good. So, guys, until the next episode, over and out. Peace. <laughs>
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.